I'm going to ask you to take your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. I don't know about you, but when I think about my own walk with the Lord, where, where I tend to struggle in that particular dynamic, in that particular relationship, is not so much in the Bible side of it, in terms of reading the Word or meditating on the Word or understanding the Word, because probably by virtue of what the Lord has allowed me to do with, with my life, I, I happen to be set as, you know, in a place where I've been uh, allowed by the Lord as, as a vocation to interact with the Word of God virtually every day in some way or another. I'm either preaching it or I'm teaching it or I'm thinking about it or I'm reading something about it or I'm reading it or I'm, I'm preparing to do one of those things. And so vocationally, my life gets thrust probably in different ways in the realm of God's Word in ways that maybe other people who are equally devoted to God, who love God perhaps as passionately, if not more so than me, are not privileged to do. They, they have uh, been in God's divine plan for their life, uh, been appointed to serve Him at a factory or in a workplace, and that is how they uh, make their living, and that is what God has called them to do, and that is how they provide for their family, and that is how they uh, have the resources that God gives to them that they then channel into the work of God. And so for the vast part of their day, in faithfulness to God and obedience to His will, they are not engaging the way I'm engaging with the Word of God. So this part of my devotional life tends to be the easiest part for me. The part that is extraordinarily difficult is the conversation with God part. And I don't mean that I don't pray, because I think we all pray. In fact, what we're going to look at here assumes that we pray. What I mean is that when I do pray, and when I really step back and think about that conversation, and I start measuring it against what God told me the conversation ought to look like and ought to, to be like, I find that my prayer life very frequently departs from that pattern. I would like for us to look at perhaps the most familiar portion of your New Testament that you know by memory, and you've known this portion by memory from the time you were old enough to pray, and you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Probably more than any other portion of Scripture that is quoted by God's people, this portion of Scripture has been quoted. I think when you just kind of do a mental evaluation of how many times the Lord's Prayer has been uttered in worship services or how many times you personally have quoted the Lord's Prayer, for most of us, that number would be up in the hundreds. This is a prayer with which we are intimately familiar. And yet I would suggest to you that, that your experience might be mine when it really comes to doing thinking about the prayer that, that as familiar as I am with the terminology of the prayer, the actual intent of the prayer and its actual objective has been relatively unfamiliar to me. And so I would like for us to look at this text and I would like for you to let your eyes just... Go down verse 9 and follow along with me to verse 13 as we read the prayer together. Jesus, talking to His disciples right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, said this, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I would like for us this morning to look at those verses that are so familiar. And here's what I'd like for us to walk away with. I I want us to see, first of all, that these verses give to us a pattern that ought to, in some meaningful way, shape the way that we pray. And when we look at the pattern that Jesus lays out here, one of the things that's interesting here is the origin or the context of this pattern. And something that I had not considered and that perhaps may have escaped you as well is the fact that this pattern is not being given in the context of prayerlessness. In other words, Jesus is not talking to people who don't pray to sort of encourage them to pray. He is talking to people who are very familiar with prayer and in fact, who engage in prayer probably more than anybody else on the planet did. If you stop and think about the role and the place of prayer in the Jewish life, and in fact, not in in the Jewish life socially, religiously, and culturally, but even in the life of a Jewish individual daily, their lives were punctuated by the practice of praying. In fact, when Jesus talks to them and he introduces this pattern, he, he immediately says to them, now when you pray, do not pray like these people pray, and he starts listing out a group of people. He starts pointing to people who pray a lot. Do not pray like the hypocrite. And he goes on to describe how the hypocrite prays. He prays in the corners and on the street uh, 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 where the streets come together. And he lifts up his voice and he prays in order that he might be heard. And he's talking about, very evidently there, a group of religious leaders who made it a practice to utter their prayers in a place where they could be seen as great men of prayer. And he said to his disciples, Now when you pray, do not pray like that. He talks about another group of people who pray regularly, and they would have been familiar with these people, and these people pray to a completely different God or to a set of gods, and they aren't convinced that their gods are even hearing them, and so they heap up their words in an effort to get the attention of their gods or to impress their gods to work on their behalf. And Jesus said, now when you pray, don't pray like that either. When you pray, you need to pray like a child who has a real and personal and intimate relationship with the person to whom you are praying. And he sets out the pattern for that sort of prayer. Luke chapter 11 has this same prayer in a different context, and there's an interesting detail in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is praying in Luke chapter 11, and when he gets done praying, his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. Somehow when they heard him pray, They knew all about praying. They personally engaged in the practice of prayer. They were surrounded by people who prayed. And yet when Jesus prayed, they instinctively knew that they wanted to learn how to pray like that. And Jesus stood and turned and began to teach them this prayer. This prayer not only 
serves as a pattern for praying in the sense that it teaches us to pray effectively so that God hears there really is a pattern to this prayer. Jesus is not intending for the prayer to be something that you memorize and when you go to pray that you just rotely repeat the lines of the prayer. He is intending for you to take this prayer and understand by its structure the categories that ought to be consuming our prayer life. When we pray and when we have a conversation with God, that conversation needs to have the feel of a conversation that happens between a child who is confident that their father is hearing, wants to hear, and can and will do something about what they're talking about. But once you get into the conversation, what is it that you're supposed to be talking to God about? When you come to our Father, and by the way, the fact that Jesus used that description is, a, is an incredible statement. He looks at his disciples and he says to them, now when you pray, here's who you ought to be talking to. You're talking to our Father. The same person that I was talking to in such intimate terms, the same person who you heard declare from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, that's who we're praying to when we pray. You're praying to the same Father that, that I pray to when I pray. He is our Father. What an incredible invitation. If you lived in Jesus' day, there were certain occasions where you certainly would understand that God really was the Father of the nation. And there are places in the Old Testament that refer to God in this way, that, that when you talk to God nationally or when you talk to God about the purposes that He had for His people, you, you would at times address Him as a Father caring for His people. But Jesus is going to a completely different level. He is saying there is a sense in which there is an intimate and unique relationship between the Father in heaven and me. And when I pray, there is no question about whether or not my Father is hearing me. And by the way, He's your Father. He is our Father. And when you pray, you have an invitation to come into that relationship and speak to Him like I speak to Him. You know, that, is, that really is an amazing thing about our prayer life. We are invited and we are instructed by Jesus to come and talk to the God of the universe at the same level of familiarity that Jesus Christ, His Son, speaks to Him. I mean, that's the level of intimacy that we have been invited and instructed to partake of. So when we come in and we talk to God at that level, at that level of familiarity, at that level of intimacy, when we presume on that relationship, we are not out of place in doing so. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you come this way, you don't need to worry about whether this is appropriate or not. It is entirely appropriate for you to talk to God this way like I talk to Him because He's your Father as well. He is our Father. Now when you get there, what should you be talking about? 
When we come into this place of prayer and we have this intimate fellowship with God and we're invited to talk to Him the way our older brother talked to Him and we know that He is hearing us on the basis of the work that our older brother has done to make the way open for us so that we can come into His presence boldly, what is it we're supposed to talk about? And here's where I would suggest that the prayer has an incredibly powerful function. What the prayer does, as Jesus lays it out, is that it shapes the priorities which really ought to govern our praying. And I think when I come to pray and I just look at the praying that I do and I try to measure them up against the priorities that the prayer sets forth, in essence, my prayers really are out of line with God's priorities. I mean, let me give you... Just uh, maybe an example and, and, and a way to kind of ma- maneuver this and, and catch this in your own life. If you look at these six requests, they are arranged in two broad categories. And the categories are divided by a statement. Thy will be done, and here's the statement, on earth as it is in heaven. And then you have the second half of the prayer, which have three additional requests. And so I'm going to submit to you that the first half of the prayer contains the priorities that God wants you to give yourself to as you pray. And the second half of the prayer are the petitions that you're invited to ask God about because that is what you need in order to accomplish the priorities that God has given to you. But it's the priorities at the beginning of the prayer that ought to dominate our life and that really ought to dominate and be the focus of all of our conversation with God. For example, at the very beginning, Jesus said, now when you talk to our Father, here's what you need to talk about. You need to talk about the fact that you are concerned and you are anxious and you are eager that His name would be exalted. You pray for the exaltation of His name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed there simply is a word that means to be set apart in its proper place. You can go back to the Old Testament, particularly as God starts talking to the nation of Israel about what He is doing to them and what He is going to do for them. And at the heart of all of this is this. I am doing this for my great name. You can see that laid out, for example, in Ezekiel 36. God says, I I have done this to you and I will deliver you and I will do these things and I want you to know something. I'm not doing it for you. I am doing it for my great name. And there ought to come a time in your life and in my life where that becomes the predominant concern of our life. That no matter what happens to us, or no matter what happens around us, or no matter where we're at, that in every circumstance we are in, that we live in such a way, and we speak in such a way, and we respond in such a way, that people come to write biblical conclusions about God's name, who He is, and what He's like. That His name be exalted. We're told here to pray for the coming of His kingdom. It's not just that God wants His name to be exalted. He wants His authority to be established 
And he has a particular realm where he wants that authority established. And he tells you right at the middle of the prayer, he wants that authority to be on earth just like it is in heaven. Everything in heaven is rightly related to the Father. Everything in heaven rightly falls before the Son and proclaims His Lordship. There is no question in the throne room of God, in the heaven where God exists with all of the celestial beings, there is no question about who God's appointed is, just like Psalm 2 says. There is no question in in, in those beings that stand eternally before the throne of God and in the presence of God. There is no question in terms of their allegiance to God and their loyalty to God and their submission to His appointed Messiah and to His appointed Son. The only place where that is challenged is on a little planet in the backwoods and in the backwaters of one of the galaxies in the universe, in a little tiny planet called Earth. And God has some advice for the leaders of the nations on that Earth. He says to them, you need to kiss this son lest he be angry with you. And the leaders of the Earth's response to that is to hold God in derision for even suggesting that. And God says to His disciples, who are scattered throughout those kingdoms that hold Him in derision, that there is coming a day, and you see it in Revelation 11, there is coming a day where all of those kingdoms will become the kingdom of His Son. And here's what you need to do. You need to pray for the coming of that. And if you're praying for the coming of that, if you are praying that God's authority will be established through His Messiah on earth, then that ought to impact the way that you live right now. You ought to be obedient to Christ. You see how this prayer shapes us? God says, here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the exaltation of my name. I'm concerned about the establishment of my authority, and I'm, I'm concerned about the execution of my will. Thy will be done. And there are a lot of ways that we could talk about the will of God. We could talk about His eternal decrees. We could talk about the ethical righteousness that, that is part of what God expects of anybody who rightly understands who He is and what He's like. But all of those, the ethical decrees of God and the eternal decrees of God, all of that come and are revealed to us in the written Word of God. And if you want to do the will of God at some point, You and I have to come to the place where we come to this book and we say to the Lord, this is a priority for me. I want your will to be done on earth and it really needs to start with me coming to this book and finding out what you desire and what you want and what you wish and doing it. And Lord, I want this to be true on earth, just like it's true in heaven. Nobody in heaven has any question what it looks like to exalt God's name. Nobody in heaven has any question what it looks like to live under God's authority. Nobody in heaven has any question about doing God's will. And Lord, 
when I talk to you as my father, I want it to be on earth like it is in heaven right now. And, and here's the point. I want you to give me the things that I need in order, in order for me to do my part in that. Lord, I need daily bread. I need provision for tomorrow. And Lord, as I walk through life, I, I stumble around. I, I, I don't always live up to your ethical righteousness. I don't always display obedience to your word. And, and it affects me and it affects my relationships. And so Lord, I need pardon for those times. And I need protection. Lord, would you deliver me from the evil one? Would you lead me not into temptation? Would you deliver me from the evil one? And the word temptation there in the text is, is the word that James uses for testing. And I want to point out something to you as we close. That is an entirely appropriate thing for you to ask God about. Your older brother did this on the night before he was crucified. He got before his father and he prayed that petition. And he asked his father if there was any way for him not to go through this time of testing on the cross that his father would deliver him. And then he said, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, may it be on earth as you wish it in heaven. And you know, God didn't deliver His Son from the agony of the test, but He did deliver His Son from the evil one, didn't He? And just like He did that for His Son, He does that for all of His sons and daughters. We can pray this way because God really does have the authority and He does have the ability. And it is part of his attributes, to desire to do these sorts of things for his people. He has the authority and the ability and the aptitude to answer this sort of praying for us. So that comes right back to where we began, and that is this. <clears throat> if Jesus praises and protects our decision to spend time with him, part of that needs to be our conversation with him. And what should that conversation really look like? It should be governed by these priorities. Yes, it, it involves these petitions that we need to ask about. But frankly, in my life, that's right where I want to go. I'm like, Lord, you know, amen, thank you that you're my father and we want the name thing in the kingdom, yeah, whatever thing, we want that. And we, you know, obviously we want your will to be done and bless all the missionaries. Now we got stuff we got to talk about. And I got a whole list of things. I need this, 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 this. And here's an illustration that really helped me get this. If my son, or you know, you think about it in terms of your own family, if, if you came to your father and, and you asked him for money, not just a little bit of money, like, Dad, I need 500 bucks. Now that's a big ask for my kid. You know, in his mind, five bucks isn't a big ask. In my mind, five bucks is a big ask. But in, but in his mind, it's like, Dad, five bucks, come on. Five bucks, everybody. All right, but, if, but he, even my son would know that 500 bucks is a big ask. Agreed? I mean, you're going to like get your act together before you come and you ask Dad for 500 bucks. I hope. You're going to have like reasons. You know, you're going to have like little ploys that you use. You're going to go into the so dad mode, Right? Because you have like ways of like starting the conversation like, hey, dad, that, that's like a little five-buck ask. I'm just asking for five bucks. 
Uh, you, you might say yes or no. But the, so dad, I already know that, that this, is a, this is a conversation at another level. And, and he's got like all of his reasons, et cetera, et cetera. So let's say I hear him all the way out and, and, and I, you know what? I happen to have the 500 bucks and I give it to him. Oh, he's, he's pumped. He's like, oh, I scored. I can't believe it. Dad, you know, dad came through. Oh, you're the best. You're the best, dad. Like, I wasn't the best if I'd only give him five bucks, but 500 gets me to a whole new level. So a week later, he comes back. And, and, and this time it's like, uh, say, uh, say, dad. Now, now that's a whole different conversation starter. Uh, you know that 500 bucks? No, son, I completely forgot about it. What are you talking about? Of course I know that 500 bucks. Well, you know that 500 bucks? Um, do you have any more? Because I'm in a pinch. I have got to have more. At that point, I have a big question for him. And the big question is, son, now a week ago, I gave you 500 bucks. What did you do with it? Well, Dad, they had a really good sale on Skittles. <laughs> and you know how the Bible tells us to share? Well, I went and bought Skittles for the whole school. What do you think the chances are that he's going to get a second investment from his dad? And the answer is Zippo. But how many times do I come to God and I say to God, Lord, you know, I need food for tomorrow. I need this and I need that. And, and God says back to us, so what have you been doing with what I gave you yesterday? And the appropriate answer is, Lord, what I did with the stuff you gave me yesterday is I worked hard to advance your kingdom. I worked hard to exalt your name. I worked hard to execute your will. And in order to be able to do it again today, I need provision. And God says, done. It's there. Lord, I messed up. I, I, this really is my heart commitment. This really is what I want to do. I didn't do so well. I need pardon. God says, done. It's there. It was there all along. And in fact, it was there way back here. But done. We're, we're good. Lord, I... I I worked to the best of my ability to, to come to a place where I surrendered to the Spirit and I wanted the Spirit working through me so that I could execute your will. And, and Lord, I need more knowledge about this. I, this is a part of it I don't get. I don't understand. I need more knowledge. I need more illumination. I need more enablement. And God says, done, done. You got it. It's when I don't care about those things and I come for the next handout that God might say to me, now wait a minute, son, now hang on a second. What have you been doing with the life I've been giving you? And oftentimes God in his mercy says, you know what, son? All right. And God could do that to the point that I presume on it. And say, well, God, you gave it to me yesterday I was living like that. So you need to give me today. And when we come to this prayer, this prayer shatters that kind of thinking. It literally brings us to the place where the priorities of God are so front and center in this praying and the relationship is so intimate and it is so deep that we are having this face-to-face -face conversation with God that we can't escape the way that we've been living when it comes to these priorities. And we finally say to the Lord, Lord, 
just like it is up here. That's how I want it here. And I know that you have the ability and the authority and the desire to make it so. May that be the case in our life.